Father, Father, we just thank you for today, and I thank you for the opportunity to uh, take a look at, uh, at the story of Nicodemus. And Father, it, it's a story that we've all been familiar with for all our lives, and, but it's a story that should be impactful for our life. And I hope that uh, somehow that uh, the things that I've prepared to say will be able to uh, come forth and um, that we'll all feel moved by uh, what is presented here in this gospel. Thank you for these people that we've prayed for and mentioned specifically. You know their needs, Father, and, and we all know uh, how we can possibly help. Help us to contribute in any way possible and be with them and give them help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, there's about ten ways that I could start today, and I don't really know which way to go. But let me just say that Josh's sermon this morning uh, really spoke to me, and I hope it spoke to you too, in that the Gospels, the Gospels are a really big deal. I guess I will do that um, since we have a little time today. Does anybody know, you know, I'm sorry, you can move. Um, A lot of people, you know, yesterday we were in a uh, half-day elders meeting retreat thing. And they discussed, um, do you all know who the Barna Group is? Okay, the Barna Group is a big research center in California, and they specifically research churches. Uh, They have done a pretty extensive survey, pretty extensive study, of the Nashville area, and they are now going around peddling that to all churches. <laughs> and if you don't pay the fee, you won't be included. Anyway, uh, but but they came and presented to our staff, our ministers, uh, some of what they found. And some of the things that they found are absolutely tremendous that that we need to just be talking about, be thinking about. Seventy uh, percent. And this this goes from like Mount Juliet to like Hohenwald. It go, it goes it, it covers a pretty pretty extensive area. Um, what they found is that seventy percent of um, the people in this area consider themselves church people. Consider themselves religious. I'm sorry. Come on, doctor. consider themselves religious. Um, I've got one up here. Oh, there's several over here. Yes. <clears throat> right there by Brother Don. He won't buy it. I can attest, attest to that. Um, but 70% of the people in this area, area consider themselves religious. 35% of those people would consider themselves churchgoers. And the criteria for that is that they would attend church at least twice a month. You get full credit if you come twice a month. I, I just, I, that is not where I'm from. Anyway, um, 
But they also, uh, there's another thing. I, I, if, you, if you can't tell, I'm on drugs, and I'm, I'm really, I'm not functioning uh, full speed. So, <clears throat> and I didn't share, I didn't share my notes with Dell, so she can't help. So. Um, so anyway, it's one of one of the big deals to me when, when Jeff asked if I would help teach John. Because, um, oh, I know what it is. Here's what it is. 70% of those people who are considering themselves church people have a question about how to read the Bible. That seems to be, uh, Josh is going to do some sermons later on on devolution, where, where, think, where people are reducing things and trying to get get a better grasp on things. But as they do that, they question, how should I read the Bible? And if you haven't struggled with that, I'm telling you, I think it's an internal struggle. For, for me, growing up, I, was, I grew up in a pattern hermeneutic, which basically means for everything that I believe, I had to find a verse for. That is a dangerous, dangerous proposition. You can read Paul, and you can go to Ephesians, Ephesians 5. I challenge anyone to read Ephesians 5 this afternoon. It does not have a flipping thing to do with instrumental music. <laughs> Paul says, I would not have you be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, playing the drums and doing whatever you want to do, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And we, we, pattern hermeneutic people, took that for 150 years and we lorded it over people and we said, you are going to hell if you pick any other deal. And then Josh does, when, when Josh first came here, y'all may not know this, but one of my hobbies is listening to sermons. And I heard this sermon from this little guy up in Michigan. And he gave the best sermon on um, instrumental music I've ever heard in my life. And he followed the pattern. He followed the pattern where the disciples of Christ came out of Philadelphia and New York, and then they split off, and the Mormons went that way. Did you know that? The Mormons went that way, and the disciples of Christ, some of them seeped down, and the further south that they got, they, the poorer they got, and they could not afford pianos and organs. And so as a result, they said, no instruments. And don't even think like that. And if you listen to Amy Grant, you're going to hell. That is the wrong, in my opinion, that's the wrong way. To, you know, we did the exact same thing with slavery, y'all. Give me, somebody give me the verse on slavery in the Bible. Uh, obey Slaves, obey your masters. Well, that sounds pretty good to me. Doesn't sound like he's condemning that. Well, read Philemon, dude. That's all you got to need to do. It's just 
that the, the scripture should be taken as a whole and not parsed out as a verse by verse by verse thing. And that's the way. So let me, let me just do this. Uh, does anybody know what the Jewish Bible is called? If you were a Jew, the Bible you brought to, to uh, Sabbath today would be what? <coughs> It's no, it's not. The Tanakh. There you go. T N K. The Tanakh. There are no vowels in Hebrew. So this is it. Tanakh. Okay? This stands for Torah. This stands for Nevium. Those are the prophets. This stands for Kevium. Those that those are the writings. Interestingly enough, we go to John. In AD 90, you're talking about dating John. I don't know when to date John, but I do know that in AD 90, in a little city called Jamnia, up on the coast, up above Haifa, in Israel, the Jews were having a conclave, and they were all meeting to discuss whether or not to kick out the wisdom writings out of the text. The, the, you see, the Old Testament text was not formulated until late 200s, they didn't really settle on where it was. The New Testament text was not formulated until three, whatever, Council of Trent or Nicaea or one of those. But somewhere in that, that range. So in Jamnia, in 90, the rabbis are getting together saying, I don't think we need to have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, any of that in our deal. And you know how John answers that? How the book we're reading, how he answers that, there is more wisdom literature in the Gospel of John than any other Gospel. Quoted from that? Huh? Quoted from those? I'm sorry? No, quoted, wisdom literature quoted from those books? Yeah, from Psalms, Proverbs. <laughs> yeah. He said, hey, y'all going to debate it? I'll give you my answer right here. And he wrote it. Okay, so the Tanakh is here. So. Does anybody remember uh, Yitz, Yitzhak, the death of Yitzhak Rabin? You do? You know who killed him? Torah. Torah is a big deal in Judaism. And there was a young Jewish rabbinical student, 23 years old, that killed Yitzhak Rabin on the streets of Jerusalem because he did not feel like he was staying true to Torah. Okay? So Torah is the first five books, first five books of the, of the Old Testament. We're going to talk about Nicodemus in just a second. Nicodemus comes. Nicodemus, the impetus for our story today is probably the cleansing of the temple. Because Nicodemus flipping loved it. You know why? Because the money changers of the temple were the Sadducees. They were the guys in charge, the priests, the high priests. And so the Pharisee, Nicodemus, would love anything that you do against the Sadducees. So he loved it. He's coming to thank Jesus is what he's doing. Okay, so the, the Sadducees only believe in Torah. They do not accept any of the prophets, any of the wisdom. As, as being scripture. I loved what Josh said this morning. Infallibility and inerrancy are not found in scripture. That's not found there. 
Because there's a lot of things that are just, if, you, if you're a textual critic, there's a lot of things that are just suspect. Okay? Um, can't even know comment. I have no clue where I want. So, Torah. Nicodemus. Okay, well, yeah, we're going back to Nicodemus. But let, let, me do, let me do Torah. Just, let me do Torah just for a second. So Torah, in the first five books, first five books of the Old Testament, and it, it, everything in there, Jews love Torah. Don't ever question a Jew over Torah. You'll get smacked. Okay? So the prophets, when the prophets wrote, are the prophets making up new stuff? This is from a lecture by Dr. A.J. AJ Levine, by the way. So what A.J. says is that Torah is here, and the prophets started writing, and what they were doing is defining Torah, building a fence, if you will, around Torah. Um, okay. Then the writings build a fence around that fence. And then Mishnah Torah, which is commentary on Torah, builds a fence around that. And the Talmud builds a fence around that. And so you have protected Torah above all else. And all these other things are used as lenses to define Torah. Does that make any sense to anybody? This is how I read the Bible. So when it comes to the New Testament, we have the Gospels. And the Gospels were written much later than Paul. Paul wrote first. But you got to remember something about Paul, and I love Paul. Paul says 14 times in his writings. Where did Paul get all that? 14 times in his writings it says, it was revealed to me. Jesus took him aside in a corner and said, this is the way it is. And he wrote it down. So I love Paul. But if you read, so go to 2013, and, and I'm, I'm a hot shot elder. I'm on, I'm on theology. I think I'm tough stuff. And I, we, we're having these 7 o'clock meetings on every, every Sunday morning for two years on women's role. And every Sunday we would go, and we would parse scriptures, we would uh, exegete, we would look at, we would we break it down. We were doing good. We were doing good work. And one Sunday we started, and I don't know what set me off, but I just started quoting all the Pauline scriptures on on this. I'm just like, and this young preacher, this young arrogant preacher, by the way, he looked at me and he said, "Can, can I just stop you?" He said, before you tell me another thing about what Paul said, can I just tell you what Jesus did? No. <laughs> I feel safer at what Paul said, not what Jesus did, because Jesus treated women totally, just like this morning's sermon, Jesus treated women totally different. It changed my world. It rocked my world. That's that's how I read read scripture now. 
I see the Gospels. I see the Pauline writings. I see, I don't know what to do with Jude. And, and, uh, and then no one knows what to do with Revelation. So, <laughs> but if you interpret, if you interpret anything that is said as something you need to live your life by, it needs to come from the Gospels. And it does, it, 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 it can be filtered through those other things. But that's it. Okay. I promise you, I did not intend to do that. Uh, let's uh, let's start. It's a great great scripture uh, for this. All scripture is God breathed. I want to introduce you to a new word today. Oh. That's the English translation. Panam. Panam. It means breath. It means spirit. It means wind. The Hebrew equivalent is rach. Panam. It's something we're going to talk about all day long. All scripture is, is theos, panam. God breathed. And is useful for teaching and is Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. Notice what it says. It doesn't say all scripture is God-breathed and is mandatory for every... It's useful for teaching. Take it the way it's written. It's useful for all of us. Okay. I did this because I want to prove that Jesus did not grow up in a vacuum. That prior to these these writings in John, Jesus was out there in the Galilee doing he had quite a following before it all started. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who, who heard Jesus were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent him to the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem, asking him, Who are you? Um, that's good. good. Um, who, who are the three people that the Jews are looking for? What are they looking for? I'm sorry. I said the Messiah. Okay, Messiah. Yeah, Messiah. That's a given. What else? They're looking for Malachi four five says, "I will send to you Elijah the prophet." Jesus says in Matthew 11, if anyone can accept the truth, John the Baptist was Elijah the prophet. Then they're looking for somebody else. Anybody else? Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18 says, I will send you a prophet like Moses. That's what we're looking and for. And then we're looking for the Messiah. Okay, so read this verse. Who are you? He confessed, but he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. Now this is John the Baptist saying, I'm not the Christ. You guys are trying to make me the Christ, but I'm not the Christ. So they ask him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Malachi 4 or 5, I am not. Are you the prophet? Deuteronomy 18, he answered, no. And they said, well, who are you then? Tell us so that we can give an answer to the people who sent us. Who sent them? 
The Jewish leaders want to know why, what are you what are you out here doing? Why are you baptizing people? Why are you guys what the arrogance of of Jesus and John baptizing Jews? You've not obviously never had a Jewish person roll up his sleeves and look at you and say, You see that right there? That's the blood of Abraham. I don't need your Jesus. There was no baptism for that. The only way you were baptized was someone that wanted convert to convert to Judaism. That's it. That was the only only baptism they knew at that time. Jesus and John are out in the wilderness baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus does for what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Pneumatology. And what it means to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm the voice crying out in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. Down in Qumran, this is on all their writings. Make straight the way of the... That's what the Essenes believed that they were looking for. As Isaiah the prophet said... Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked John, Why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? At the age of 12, our Lord accompanied Mary and Joseph to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover with them. When the family left for home, Jesus stayed. His absence was unnoticed. When Mary and Joseph returned to Jerusalem, they found him in the temple listening to the teachers and asking questions. It wasn't long before they were asking Jesus questions. They were amazed at his answers. Our Lord was already an astounding teacher at 12 years of age. A number of years later, John the Baptist commits his public ministry proclaiming the Word of God and calling Israel to repentance in preparation for the coming of Messiah. The Jewish religious leaders took note of him and sent a delegation to require, inquire about his ministry and his message. Okay. Uh, However, the Pharisees, the experts of religious law, rejected God's purposes for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed by his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not like the experts of their law. In one of those days, while he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of law sitting nearby who had come from every village of the Galilee. That gives me goosebumps every village of the Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal the sick okay that's that's I thought that would save us five minutes if I did that uh, let's open let's open our Bible to John chapter 3 we're actually going to start in 2 because remember um, the way you organize scripture was all, that's all man-made and I don't believe it started here I, th- I think it started back in 2 now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast many people saw the miraculous signs Simeon John is called a signs gospel he does these miraculous signs and that's what, that's what the whole thing was he was I saw the signs he was doing and they trusted in his name. But Jesus would not trust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, 
for he knew what was in a man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. That means he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the 70. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do if you're not, we're not with him. That's an incredible statement for, for a Jewish rabbi to come to another Jewish rabbi and say, we know that you are a teacher sent from God. Remember that because we're going to come back to that. Jesus, in, in reply, Jesus declared, I'm just curious what your Bible say right here. I tell you the truth. Very truly. Truly, truly is good. I'm going with truly, truly. It's hey main, hey main. Hey main, hey main. Truly, truly. Uh, when we at the end of a prayer say amen, we're saying truly. Same word. He says it twice. Anytime somebody wanted, wanted to make a statement, they would say that. He says, hey main, hey main. Unless a man is born from above, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus was thrown off and he said, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. Dumb answer. And Jesus said, hey man, hey man. I tell you, unless a man is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, you cannot hear where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the spirit. Now here's the telling verse. Nicodemus says, how can this be? You see, for Nicodemus, for Jews, I hate that thing. I despise, I despise <laughs> For Nicodemus and for Jews, <clears throat> if you want to be really religious, what do you do? You separate yourself. Yeah, you're, you're good. Here's how you become a good Jew. You become a good person. You keep all the laws. You keep all the kosher laws. You go to church when you're supposed to go to church. You visit the sick. You do everything. I once asked my friend A.J. Levine, who is a tenured professor of New Testament studies at Vanderbilt, probably one of the top ten theologians in all the country. I, I, I maintain her house, and so we walk in the yard quite a bit and yell at each other. <clears throat> and she, I once said, AJ, tell me why someone with your credentials, you ought to just go and look at her in, what, is it an in vita page? In vita? You ought to just go look at her. It goes on for, anyway. I said, why would you give up your Tuesday nights to go to the women's prison and teach these women, the gospel of Matthew. Why would you do that? What do you get out of that? And she said, Randall, I do that because I'm a Jew. 
That's what Jews do. We do what should be done. As for her faith, I'm not going to say she has a faith. You see, Jesus is contrasting. He says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? Do you know why? Because Nicodemus knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. He knew nothing about it. He was being a good Jew and that can get you all the way to being high priest. Jesus came baptizing with the Holy Spirit. Now then, that is an indictment on we Christians because I'm going to tell you, and this is not a judgment thing, but I'm going to tell you there's a lot of people among us that just do the same thing. We just come and we're rote. And we don't have the Spirit of God living within us calling the shots. Mr. Welcher, how, how do you get the Spirit of God living within You have to ask. You have to ask. It's not something I think that comes, it doesn't come easy for me. Most of the time, when I feel the Spirit of God move in me is when I'm in the midst of studying. Let me tell you something. Have you ever wanted to? Read a. Have you ever read a book and you want to interview the author? He says, "Hey, man, I'd love to just ask you a few questions." And guess what? Have you been baptized? You have the author right here. The Spirit of God is within you. You don't have to ask anybody. Just read and let the Spirit tell you. Um, I'm talking like I'm. So in tune with the Spirit, but I'm not. Uh, I want to be. I think it's important for all of us to seek the advice and counsel of the Spirit. Okay, let's keep going. You're a teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things. Verily, verily. Amen, amen. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we've seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of you of, heaven, to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. One of the things I love about John is he is such an Old Testament scholar that he will start quoting things out of the Old Testament and you you, you got to look. You got to work real hard to find it. Uh, that literally is from Proverbs. Um, no one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life. Somebody tell us that story. That's from the desert when the snake. Numbers 21. What were, the, what were the children of Israel doing? They were on a trek to the promised land. Yeah, they were. And what were they doing? They were being bad. Yes. They were, being, they were doing bad things. They would wake up in the morning and God would give them manna. And what would they say about it? <laughs> this is all. Have you ever been in the Judean desert? I'll take anything. But for 40 years, we've been eating manna. This is. This is horrible. 
could you just throw a rat in there every now and then? So what did God do? He said, these people are wicked. And so he sent snakes. Literally, the Bible says fiery snakes. And he would bite the people, and when it bit them, it caused incredible pain. Incredible pain. <clears throat> so, they asked Moses for a remedy, and Moses went to God, and God said, just make a, make a bronze snake. Stick it up on a pole. And if they're in pain, they got to look at the snake. It'll take away the pain. And Jesus uses that analogy to say, that's the way it's going to be when the Son of Man is lifted up. We'll all look at Him who is bruised and pierced for us. And that will be our healing. Later on, well, before they entered the promised land, um, <clears throat> when he- oh, that's not true. Later on, when when they were, when Hezekiah was rebuilding the temple, he found that snake yeah. and demolished. What do you have a name for it? Huh? The Hutsa, which literally means snake or sea monster. I listened to a three-hour podcast that Josh sent me on from the people who do the Bible Project on the Nehuts and mm. that's fascinating. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Okay. Everyone who believes in Him might have eternal life. How many of you have red letter editions of the Bible? I'm going to bust your bubble. I believe that these next words are John's sermonic conclusion. I don't believe this is Jesus talking. John's giving these sermons, and then he gets to the end, and this is probably the greatest sermon ever ever delivered. Certainly the most popular scripture. For God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of one and only Son. Let, let me just stop you there. This, uh, all, my, all the kids in my youth group, as a matter of fact, I have, I have a, uh, several kids that I see. When Dell and I came here in 1980, we had a youth group, and all those kids are doctors and lawyers, and they, I mean they did, they did great, and it wasn't because of me. Um, yeah, yeah, Dr. Shrigley, that's right. <coughs> um, but I'll guarantee you that if you stop any one of my any one of my kids and you read this verse, they're going to get to only begotten, and they're going to say monogenes, monogenes. That's the Greek word. What makes that so unusual is it's a, Leland, help me, hapex legomenon. It's a hapex legomenon, which means it's only found here in John. Actually, it's found in 1 John as well. But this is a word that John 
made up to fit this. Made up to fit this. When Jesus, and we can, we can debate this for hours, when Jesus was begotten, he is the only, the only one that is like that in any way. Uh, if you go back to John 1 1, there's three words in Greek for with. Pros, meta, and soon. Pros, meta, and soon. Um, if we're all together here in this class, we're soon. We're soon. If you go to lunch with somebody and, um, and it's kind of a, a group like the Kellys will probably go to lunch this afternoon, and they, they may take people in. That's meta. That's me they are with one another. They're meta. Dell and I are pros. We're married. We have a unique, a totally unique relationship that is shared with no one else in the world. The relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son is pros. Enopeanologos, kyologos, ain't pros tone theon. He was with God in the beginning. That's the same thing as monogonase. Monogonase is all about there's nobody else. When Jesus was there, they broke the mold. There's never going to be another. And I was really enamored with that when I first became a youth minister. So all my kids learned that. I'll see Colin Holiday walking down the street on the other side of the street, and he'll go, Monogadays! <laughs> <laughs> okay, dude, all right. Here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, and men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for the fear that deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, and it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So Nicodemus, religion was a matter of doing, keeping the law, keeping all that. Jesus said that true religion is one that's doing it through the Spirit. That's why we don't, I think we do a horrible job with explaining baptism. When, when somebody's baptized, they're not just dumped. They need to know that, to quote Carrie Underwood, one of the greatest theologians ever, <laughs> something happens in the water. There's something in the water. God meets you in the water and gives you his spirit and that's what propels you to the rest of your life now I'm not calling everybody to be rebaptized next week that's not what we're going to do but we need to search out ways to be part of the spirit alright any questions yes is buried with Christ what is the with word there you know? I'm sorry we're buried with Christ Leland what knows. is the with word there? Do you know which one it is? Leland knows. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm having lunch with him today. He has so, a Greek New Testament right there. He can yeah. look it up. And I don't. Yes. Uh, I think in a, a couple of the different places, just like we would say, 
you guys are co-whatever. There's a prefix that goes with blue, a prefix that goes with raised, and a prefix that goes with and it's co-buried, co-raised, co-died. And so when you take those pictures from Romans, Colossians, etc., that's what it's talking about. That just as Jesus went through the death, the burial, and the resurrection, when you're going through your baptism, you are co-buried with him. What I, what, I, I like that, and what I would say to that is I just feel like we do our kids a disservice that they, they don't really understand what they're... It's not about just getting dunked. Yeah. That's what it used to be about. It used to be about getting dunked. Right now, it should be about you're going into the water to meet Jesus, to meet God. Um, I think it's the same power that when Jesus gave up his life, and, you know, Peter says he went three days, spent three days preaching in hell and all that kind of stuff. Okay. He was obviously not with the Father. Jesus had to have enough faith that God was going to do something in that grave to bring him out. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. That's a parallel power that we just we don't we don't talk about that. Yes, sir. So when I was growing up, uh, we were taught that you got to get baptized before you're twelve. Right. And so and you can print, print your name in the gospel advocate. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why they taught that, but even at the age of twelve, they were telling us that the transformation takes place before you're baptized. You're transformed. Just like circumcision is an act of obedience to the will of God. We were never taught, and I'm not trying to discount what you're saying, that you're transformed into water. Right. The transformation is in the spirit. Oh, it is. I would agree with that. But I think it happens in the water. Oh, okay. Yeah, Carrie Underwood's on my <laughs> Born of water and of spirit, what would you say to the people who would say that that's talking the, the water aspects talking about a, a natural birth yeah. coming out of the woman? Yeah, that that that's who. I would say just hooey? I would just look at him and say that's who. <laughs> Not by. Uh, I was just going to say um, I grew up in a very Especially in a conservative. <laughs> but that was one thing that uh, I truly believe that. That I can't explain it. Nobody but, can. But that um, but it, it was there. I think that's awesome. Yes, sir. Soon. Soon? With? It's soon. That is the most common one, or that's friends together? That's. This class, that we're all together gotcha. soon. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Okay, <clears throat> let's keep going. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside. 
if, if a text was written today, it would say, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the West Bank. You need to know, that's from the United Nations, and that's not right. It's Judea and Samaria. Don't let anybody else sell you any, anything else. Well, he spent some time baptizing. Now, John was also baptizing at Aon near Salem, where they had plenty of water. And the people were constantly, constantly coming to be baptized. John whispers in our ear, this is before John was put into prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. You should read baptism there. They came to John and said to him, Robbie, the man that was with you on the other side of Jordan and the one whom you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everybody's going to them. <clears throat> you know how mad we get when people who have been going to church with us decide to go somewhere else? <clears throat> Jesus was a sheep stealer too. <laughs> just want you to know that. Just give it up. Give it, just give it up. This, John replied, a man can only receive what is given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ. This is John the Apostle writing about John, his cousin, defending him and saying, he never claimed to be the Christ. As late as the year 200 A.D., there was a group that tried to worship John as being the Messiah. He isn't, and John's just saying, no, that's not right. But I'm sent ahead of him. The bridegroom belongs to the bride. The friend attends the bridegroom and waits and listens for him and is in full joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine and now complete. Um, he must become greater. I must become less important. I'm not even going to read that, that next part because all I want to do is, somebody tell me how much time I have. None. None. Is that the negatives? Yeah. Uh, okay. It's uh, it's 12-till, so you got... I, I'll tell you, this is what I was getting ready to do is a lot better than Josh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good day. Thank you. <laughs>